Hello and welcome to the Superposition Guys podcast. My name is Yuval, and my guest today is Rebecca Krauthammer, co-founder and chief product officer at QSecure, a company focusing on addressing the quantum security threat. We discuss QSecure's products that help organizations adopt post-quantum cryptography without needing to rip and replace existing infrastructure, ethical considerations in quantum technology, and much more. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Becca, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Val. So who are you and what do you do? Well, um, my name is Rebecca. You call me Becca. And um, I am the founder and chief product officer of QSecure. And what we do is is we kind of solve for the quantum threat. Um, so, you know, uh, we take the problem that everybody knows about and we make it manageable. How so? Also, that's a great question. So we've been we've been working on this um, for quite a while, and what we understood when we when we started out, uh, and this was back in 2019, was that this is a necessary upgrade cycle. Um, and you know, just I'm sure most uh, most people are now aware of what what the quantum threat is. But you know, high level, right? It's the idea that a, a sufficiently powerful quantum computer will be able to uh, break public key cryptography as we know it today. Um, and, you know, luckily this is, for now, largely a solved problem. NIST has been working on standardizing the, the post-RSA world of uh, algorithms. But so what we, you know, what we what we understood is that this, this problem affects all data in transit, right? Uh, it's a necessary upgrade. Everybody's going to have to do it. And we have to make it possible for people to do it now because, of course, there's uh, there's the immediate threat of store now or harvest now, decrypt later uh, for today's data. So it is it's not just waiting for that quantum computer, but it's it's a today threat. So um, so to end, long story short, uh, when we started out, we kind of architected a a product that is software based, highly scalable. Um, and something that, it, at, you know, at the core of all the design decisions we make is something that enables organizations to be able to adopt this on a broad scale, simply that, um, that is compatible with their existing architectures and infrastructures. Um, and that, that is what we do. We, 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 uh, we deliver to organizations, we work a lot with the government as well, um, a product called QProtect that does that. You're describing it almost like an antivirus, where the upgrades that happen once in a while because there are new threats. Is am, am I reading this correctly? So what you know, what we focus on, I think, I think that's a you know a fair analogy. Um, when uh, crypt, encryption upgrades are not new, right? Like we've been doing this since you know the seventies, probably um, long time. And, uh, and, and each time they've kind of been taken as this like point wise rip and replace. We gotta, we gotta, you know, take on this big migration. Uh, the problem with that today is one, we don't know what we don't know about quantum. We also don't know what we, kn- we don't know about AI and all these technologies are moving faster and faster. So it's likely that encryption upgrades will have to happen, um, on a faster and faster scale. And because the threats are here today, and we can't we can't wait and we can't take this as a big rip and replace. So hence the the idea that it's it's uh, you can put it on top of your existing infrastructure. You don't have to do that rip and replace. And to your point, it's kind of like this periodic upgrades. 
uh, we really focus on this idea of crypto agility, cryptographic agility. And so what we do at the core, it's not, you know, it's beyond even a, a post-quantum cryptography or quantum resilient cryptography product. It's actually enabling uh, organizations to say, I want this kind of post-quantum cryptography here. I want this key length here. Uh, and enabling them to swap out the cryptography and, uh, and take control of the, the encryption for their data in transit. Um, so that's kind of the, yeah, to, so you are then able to upgrade uh, when need be your encryption algorithms. Um, you can also upgrade them for good, right? If you want higher strength uh, encryption in certain places, say I want to, um, eh, for iMessage, I want higher encryption than for my email, uh, you know. Whatever, whatever it looks like to you. So just full control of your cryptography. And that doesn't have to be quantum specific, right? I mean, if I find something that's not necessarily about quantum, yeah. I can just upgrade that as well. Is that correct? Yeah, no, that's, that's spot on. Um, you know, right now we're talking about the migration from pre-quantum to post-quantum cryptography. Um, but it's likely that, yes, there, there will be other algorithms post these. We also work with um, certain customers who want to bring their own cryptography. And so, you know, that, that kind of modularity and ability to, to, it doesn't have to be quantum specific, right? Um, so it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Where do you see the pickup for this product? What kind of applications or is there a specific kind of customer that you see more traction than others? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think I think when people hear about the quantum threat, it's kind of this big, hairy problem that people get nervous about because it's like, okay, how do I solve the whole problem today? And I think, you know, the 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 message that we try to get across is not everything needs to be properly encrypted. Um, you know, if you have a weather application, uh, it's all public data, right? You, there's no store not a crypt later threat. So the the industries that we really see moving quickly, it's public sector, so it's government. Uh, and it's the financial sector. And you can imagine that that both of those sectors have a really vested interest in protecting data that exists today, national security secrets, right, whatever it is, bank account information for a long period of time. Um, so those are those are primarily the, the the sectors that we see moving. Where is the software installed? Is it just on the endpoints? Do you have to install it on the routers and switches? I mean, and is it easy? Is it equally easy to do it on on all kinds of devices? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so the way that we we orchestrate we we um, we do it in a couple different ways, but really we use a, a key distribution center model, and then sort of a mesh architecture that gets out to um, every connected device. So you know you don't have to install it on the switches and routers. Um, it's all software based, and so you really kind of can deploy it wherever you need it to be. Um, and that that takes a couple different software-oriented forms. Um, but really, uh, for example, we have a, a, a part of the product called Q Everywhere that can get out to browsers and mobile applications without any install for the end user. Think you are, you know, you're a bank, and like I do my banking online, right, on my on my phone. Um, with this product, something like Chase Bank can offer this out to their end customers so that all of their data transactions become uh, post-quantum encrypted without me as the end user having to download or install or change my behavior in any way. Um, so that's, you know, kind of one of the one of the sides of it. But um, the idea is it's it's you, you don't have to install um, 
anything or, or break out any hardware or software that you already have going. What's the backstory? How did QSecure come about? Mm, yeah, it's been it's been quite a journey. Um, I'll tell it from kind of my my perspective. Um, there's there's four co-founders, and uh, we all got together in um, like end of 2018. Um, and uh, you know, my background, I came out of an AI world. And uh, so I was, you know, when it was one of our co-founders, Skip, who brought the idea to us and he was like, hey, this this quantum thing, let's check it out. And uh, and so I, I was coming out of the AI world and, you know, I had I had uh, enough implementation experience to start to see the delta between what we can do in theory and what we can uh, what we can actually achieve on today's classical hardware. And so um, for me, quantum represented this like big cool thing that's going to unlock so many doors in AI and technology broadly. And um, and so I was I was like, yeah, let's do this all in. What we did first was we started a venture studio and the idea was to, um, you know, it's a, a bit of a venture fund and and, uh, and and putting resources towards projects coming out of academia, uh, moving them towards commercialization. And I think through that journey, uh, you know, we were working on actual quantum applications, but we we understood, I think, before most people saw the threat that um, that the, the quantum computers were a threat to encryption, that it was a today thing. There are a lot of um, really amazing thought leaders that were starting to talk about it, um, Jack Hittery. Uh, and so we, we started within that venture studio uh, working on this this kind of defense against quantum computers project. And it just started to take off. We got our first government contract almost immediately. And uh, it just, we all we all just understood that we had to go over and do this thing. And it's just been kind of a rocket ship ever since. Um, so that was that was really the birth of QSecure. Where do you see the IP, if I may ask? What's unique about QSecure as opposed to other sort of software updates, distribution approaches? Yeah, great, great question. I think, you know, one of, one of the cool things I love is, again, you know, we, we don't, one, you don't need to, you don't need to fight quantum with quantum. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people are kind of stuck in the idea that you do. So everything that we are doing is classical. Um, and, you know, to your point, that's, that's a bit more of a crowded area. But uh, again, to it's it's not a po it's not solving for quantum. It's not just a post quantum thing. So the broader picture, I think, is in is in the the cryptographic agility. Um, but the way that we orchestrate also, it's uh, it enables zero trust migration, which is of course a huge thing right now. Um, there are a lot of mandates around it, and zero trust really what it does is it helps take some of the the human error out of out of uh, out of cyber. And so. Um, I think there's there's a lot that we work on in that space. Uh, we also, I think it's you know pretty pretty amazing to be able to. When we started out, it was the idea was to be able to address you know all data in transit or as much as we possibly could because it's an all data in transit problem. And so the way that we are able to get out to um, every endpoint or every every connected thing, uh, that I think is pretty cool and novel, right? A lot and a lot of times without actually affecting any of the end users, it's an invisible experience. Um, and then, of course, sort of the, the legacy compatibility is a huge piece of it. You mentioned that you came out of the AI world, and there's a lot of discussion these days about the ethics of AI. Do you see a parallels in quantum 
uh, has, is something that you picked up and learned in the AI world about ethics also applicable to quantum? Oh, 150%. And I love that question because it's near and dear to my heart. I really, a, a large part of why I got into quantum and AI even initially was um, the, the, these technologies are multipliers and they're going to have such an impact on us. They're already having an impact on us. And so we have to build um, build for an ethical future, for a human future. And the ability to be in at the, you know, at the ground level in quantum when they're really, it, it's just starting to emerge as a technology. For me, from like building ethical technology standpoint, that was just such a cool opportunity. And I've had the opportunity to work with, um, before I got into quantum, I often acted as a subject matter expert for um, I helped build the the first Coursera course in ethical technology development, um, did a lot of exam authoring for university courses in ethical AI, um, and most recently got to work with the World Economic Forum on issuing a set of governance principles for quantum computing development, ethical quantum computing development, um, which I think was an awesome, uh, kind of an awesome experience. And you really do see in all of those discussions we had around, okay, how is quantum different and similar to AI. Um, and I think we found that in a lot of ways, to the, to the extent that we understand it, we can take a ton of learnings from HPC, from AI. Uh, I think the flip side of it is, you know, and, and, and we see this now as, as uh, things like ChatGPT are becoming more and more popular. We don't know what we don't know. And we have to build frameworks that help us adapt to whatever comes our way. And I think that's especially true for quantum, right? Quantum is a huge multiplier of the way that it scales. And so when we think about building ethical foundations, uh, you know, kind of like crypto agility, we have to be able to adapt and we have to be able to adapt to, to, to unknown futures. So um, I think we have to be very serious about it. Um, we, we have to build into the very roots of quantum, um, thinking about the future and not just, you know, when I think about data security, right? Um, for me, right, coming out of AI, there is no AI without data. Uh, and so data security is kind of a foundational, like if there's a Maslow's hierarchy of needs in terms of technology, foundational level is getting data protection right. And so that's why, you know, I, I love QSecure so much. Um, and I think there's, you know, the, the second tier is we have to think about what we don't know yet, of course. And when we have a fault-tolerant quantum computer, uh, that can break something like RSA 2048. We also have like a 4,000 qubit fault tolerant quantum computer and that thing can do amazing stuff. Um, it can also do data analysis in ways that we cannot imagine, right? So, you know, you think about a lot of us have taken 23andMe, so our genetic data is out there. We can only get so many insights today, but we have to think about protecting that data in terms of what a quantum computer might be able to do with that data into the future. Um, so I think, yeah, there's, there's a lot to unpack there, but it's both, we have to take it very seriously and learn from, from our journeys and other technologies like AI. And we also have to prepare for the unknown. Is the primary ethical issue for quantum that it creates disparity between those that have it and those that don't, or is it something else? That's a large part of what we were, we were discussing in, in building these governance principles. Um, I think... You know, what, one thing that excites me about quantum computers is uh, unlike the classical computer revolution where there were kind of haves and have nots, uh, you still see that with quantum. But I think because it's it's right now, it's pretty much all cloud based. Um, 
anyone can get access to it if they want, right? There's still issues, but I think that's very cool. It's it's a lot more democratized just starting out the gate. Uh, you know, we can get into sort of the arena of, you know, maybe one country or area will have it before another. Um, but I actually, I worry less about the haves and have nots of quantum, but I do worry more about who has access to education around it. Uh, and I think that's a big, um, a big area that, that a lot of us in the quantum space talk about how to, how to get the information out so that everyone can use leverage, take advantage of this technology. How is the World Economic Forum involved? I mean, what do guidelines look like for ethical quantum? Yeah. I, so, I mean, the World Economic Forum does a lot of thought leadership, right? And um, I, I, I love it because, you know, being here in the U.S., we often think of um, quantum development from a, uh, at least I do, from a U.S.-centric place. But when I work with the World Economic Forum, it's it's every, it's the whole world, right? Um, so thinking how it affects everybody. The... A lot of the the guidelines, you know, they're, they're guidelines for governance of organizations, of uh, educational institutions, um, government, et cetera. And they really, a lot of them followed kind of ESG goals uh, and also a lot of learnings from AI and, and a lot of the frameworks that have been put in place, some of the more famous ones uh, around AI governance. So I think um, I think it's it's frameworks that people understand, right? Everyone's kind of adopting ESGs. And so you can think of sustainability, you can think of education, you can think of privacy in terms of um, in terms of quantum and kind of shift that framework that you have a reference for into the quantum realm. From a professional standpoint, what keeps you up at night? Mm, you know, I'm I'm so embedded in in Q Secure. Um, and so, of course, for me, the, the quantum threat is, is ever present. Um, and I think, you know, what, what keeps me up at night is the, the pace of adoption, I think, needs to, needs to speed up. There are so many things on cybersecurity leaders' plates. There's so many things on, um, you know, there, there's, there's so many things to solve for in the world that, that this one can often slip to the bottom of the radar. But um, it, it just is a fact that we are all sharing so much more data than ever online. Uh, and I, I think most people are not thinking so much about how that data ultimately gets used uh, and the privacy of that data, right? And so I think that because we face that storm out of crypto later threat, you know, I, I heard a, um, a talk by the CTO of the, the CIA and he was talking about the, the quantum threat. And he said, everyone's going to wake up in, you know, several years. And we're all going to have experienced a personal WikiLeaks moment. And I think, you know, that, that stuck with me. So the, what keeps me up at night, I think, is the, is the pace of adoption. I would love to see a lot of industries adopting faster and faster healthcare, um, protecting our electronic health records, right, sooner than later. Um, uh, that, that, is a, that is my kind of personal nightmare is that we don't move fast enough. Going back to where we started, um... If an organization wanted to address the quantum threat, they still have to go through an inventory process, prioritize the systems that they want to protect, and only then they could go to QSecure and say, hey, could you help us protect this link? Is that about right? Mm. So I think you know there, there's two ways to, to talk about inventory. There's discovery inventory. Um, we actually bypass a lot of that 
And so you don't actually need to identify all of your instances of encryption and, and, and da da da. Um, because of the way we work, we don't actually rip and replace anything. We overlay. So it's basically if you do it, if you do an inventory, if you do discovery of what which of your encryption algorithms are vulnerable, it's going to come back all red, right? It's all all uh, asymmetric encryption is is vulnerable. So we actually bypass that step because we are a software overlay, and we you know oftentimes we'll work with with clients who come to us and say, hey, we're very concerned about this. Help us prioritize which systems we need to work on, and so we we will work hand in hand with.